I was a vacationer to the 30A region. Those of you that are in Dustin, Rosemary Beach, I was a seaside guy and I would rent. And I'd spend three, five, ten thousand dollars a week to rent. My wife and I said, you know what? Instead of spending seven thousand dollars, why don't we buy a place that we can have a three thousand dollar mortgage on and let's try out this vacation rental thing? Uh, so instead of buying there, I identified an underserved market at the time. Gulf Shores back then was not what it is today. Uh, and we bought our first property there and we kind of hit the ground running. Love it. I love it. And let's, because you and I have talked about this offline, because I love the 30A area. We've got a, a property that we manage down there. It's beautiful, but it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap down there. So what were some of the pros and cons, I guess, of going to going away from a place that was a little bit more established where it was a higher price point to almost like testing out the waters on the Gulf shores. Like what, what well, kind of I guess I kind you? of had a competitive advantage. On What's up everybody. My name is Mike Shogren here with my co-host Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors. You've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are short-term rental nation and these are our secrets. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What is going on, E? My brother, so good to see you guys. Um, Man... I don't think we have had a busier May, April, May in the last uh, 10 years. And I don't know, I don't know if any of our listeners have been in this game for this long and they can kind of holler back at us and then just let us know how you guys are doing. But I don't, I've never had this level of occupancy this time of the year ever, ever. And it's just insane. And, uh, and I've had to lock down, I'm not taking bookings for next year because I keep jacking up the prices. And I think Bill, which I'm so grateful that you're on this show because I, I remember you talking about it on the many clubhouses we've been on, uh, <laughs> on together, but I keep jacking up prices and people are like, sure, no problem. I'm like, wait, I, I need to, I need to lock up the calendar one second. I'm just going to start, start a wait list because it's just, it's, it's wild. Like I'm talking like I'm, I'm adding like, like 25%, 30% to our rates. And people are like, sure, no problem. Send us the form. I'm like, you're supposed to say no. Like, <laughs> why are you, this is a year in advance. Why are you agreeing with me? I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, we, we can't. So I went through all of our back systems. I am, I am blocking the calendars. Um, right now we're only taking three, four months out um, just because, Occupancy has been, has been crazy. Cash flow has been crazy. Um, and my assistant, she's amazing. Like, this is my first week with my executive assistant. My email finally makes sense. Like, I don't have thousands of emails unread and everything is organized. Um, so, yeah, man, <laughs> it just, it's just good. It's You're just on the good. Flow, buddy. You're on yeah, the flow. man. And, uh, and so the cove is reopening and it looks amazing as wait always. You see the, wait till you see the new deck, man. It's sick. We're yeah. Adding like a full like built-in bar. We did like a herringbone pattern. Like on, it's 
it's gonna look unbelievable yeah but that that view from your deck man every time and i sent the, actually i have a couple of friends in mass i'm like dude if you guys are not going anywhere this is this is the spot for you because it's first of all i know it's gonna be top notch but those views man i'm like oh, it looks yeah. so nice so I'm pretty lucky up there i love it i love it yeah well, let's, uh, let's dive in because I want to I wanna introduce our buddy Bill here. So today on the show, we have Bill Faith with us. He's been involved in real estate for almost 25 years with both the commercial and residential investing. In 2015, he switched the majority of his residential portfolio to short-term rentals with long-term from long-term after seeing an opportunity to increase profit and reduce risk. Bill currently has a multi-million dollar portfolio of short-term rental properties, primarily located in vacation rental markets with a focus on beach, lake, and mountain properties. He's leveraged years of successful business growth strategies to specialize in maximizing vacation rental profits by turning 50,000 annual revenue properties into $90,000 properties. We're definitely going to talk about that today. Yielding high profit via self-management. Bill shares these profit-boosting strategies along with how to self-manage, holding real estate, and so much more so you can build your short-term rental wealth while your guests make your mortgage payments. Without further ado, Bill, thanks for being here, buddy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for today. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. So kind of take us back a little bit. Like, What, what was that trigger that was like, I'm going to switch this from long-term to short-term? Like, Where did that come from? Um, I first was introduced to Airbnb. I live in just south of Nashville, Tennessee, and I was actually literally every Tuesday night I was in downtown Nashville at city council meetings because I, my, in my former life prior to getting into this, uh, I was built a $9 million ground transportation company in Nashville and we were fighting Uber and Lyft and all of that type of regulation. And I kept seeing these bills that started coming in from something about Airbnb and then it was the short-term rental stuff. And it was like more volatile than what we were dealing with. And that's when I kind of found out about it. I had some long terms that were here. I still had some long terms on the West Coast. And I started looking into it. And then I had a client of mine in the ground transportation space that was getting into uh, the short-term rental space as well. And he does what you and I do now uh, too. And so I was kind of introduced to it. And I've learned probably the most valuable lesson before I even invested into my first uh, short-term rental. And that was don't invest in Nashville, Tennessee, because the regulation was just way too volatile. And if, if you've been in it a while, like 15, 16, 17, were like the three, Nashville was the number one market in the U.S. Uh, stronger than Palm Springs or Gulf Shores or Destin or Gatlinburg or the Poconos or any place else um, around there. So um, I went down and I started investing into my first drive-in vacation rental market, was, which was Gulf Shores, Alabama. And I talk about it a lot. And it was, I was a vacationer to the 30A region. Those of you that are in Destin, Rosemary Beach, I was a seaside guy and I would rent. And I'd spend three, five, $10,000 a week to rent. My wife and I said, you know what? Instead of spending $7,000, why don't we buy a place that we can have a $3,000 mortgage on and let's try out this vacation rental thing. Uh, so instead of buying there, I identified an underserved market at the time. Gulf Shores back then was not what it is today. Uh, and we bought our first property there and we kind of hit the ground running. Love it. I love it. And let's, because you and I have talked about this offline because I love the 30A area. We've got a, a property that we managed down there. It's beautiful, but it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap down there. So what were some of the pros and cons, I guess, of going to, going away from a place that was a little bit more established where it was a higher price point to almost like testing out the waters on the Gulf Shores. Like what? what well, kind of I guess I kind of had a competitive advantage. I was, I was, I was a little bit, 
I, one of my groomsmen in a former life when I played professional golf, there was a gentleman named William Wilson. Uh, if you're familiar with that area, he used to own the Frankista Beach uh, Hotel Resort. He owns Frankista Beach property. He owns over 1,100 uh, single-family homes and condos that he manages today. Uh, he owns almost 100 properties down there. He's pretty big time. And luckily, I've known him for 25, 30 years. And I've looked at properties in Seacrest, in watercolor, in the seaside area. And what he taught me is still something I abide by specifically in beach communities. He said, Bill, don't spend the money to be on the beach. If you're looking at his investment, go second tier. Um, so I was looking at second tier there. And what I was looking at, I wanted at four bedrooms was my sweet spot. I didn't want three. I wanted four or five. I was looking at one, two, $1.3 million for that with views. Uh, and this was five years ago, right? Well, he's the one that introduced me to Gulf Shores. He said, go there. You'll be able to get a 30% discount. So long story short, I bought a house, paid $635,000, got a four bedroom, three baths, second tier. Uh, and that's the case study. Uh, when you talk about 50,000 to 90,000, the year before I bought it, that was under a property management company, a big one uh, that everybody would know. They did $55,000 in revenue. Well, I, I bought it and I did 98700 uh, in the next year. And there's a lot of these things that I do from a value add standpoint that I put into my small properties and I put into my luxury properties. And that was kind of my first, uh, you know, dipping my toe in the water, if you will. And then I just kept rolling after that. Um, and I love it. And the one thing that I learned from the, the first person that influenced me uh, was drive-in vacation rental markets were the most recession-proof uh, through the recession. Um, and I also think they're the ones that have been impacted in the most positive fashion during COVID when the urban markets were really being hit hard uh, at this time last year. Uh, 2020 was the best year that I've ever had in November, it was either November or December, I put out a YouTube video on my YouTube channel saying that 2021 is going to be better uh, than 2020. And here's why. And a lot of people thought that I was crazy. But what Emmanuel was saying when we started, I think a lot of us are seeing those same things uh, that are happening. I'm experiencing the same in all the markets that I'm in as well. Mm. Can you, before we move on, um, can you explain what that second tier means? Because obviously you said second tier and then you said I'm looking at 1.2 to 1.5 and then ended up buying something for 600. So that it's not, if people don't know what you mean by that, it doesn't really sound like a second tier property, but you, you don't yeah. mean about the quality, right? You mean about location. location. So okay. the second tier would be, and, and there's two different descriptions here. Yeah. One house between you and the beach or you and the lake or you and the, you know, the ski lodge, whatever it is, or one street. So, and it's funny and, and the panhandle, like in Destin and Panama City Beach and stuff, they refer to it as houses uh, mostly. But then in Gulf Shores, it's streets, right? So uh, realistically, you could almost classify me as beachfront, but I did have a street that was kind of off to the left, but I could walk straight to the sand uh, from my property. So we classified it as second tier. Um, so it's kind of just think about really the easiest visualization is beach here, street, then that would be the second house. So you have a house, street, then that would be second tier. Gotcha. Love it. Which is a great point. Yeah, for sure. So then what was, what was that next deal? You got this first one going and I definitely want to break down in a, in a little bit how you were able to take it from 55 to 98 and maybe share some of those nuggets, but you got that first one going that what, what was that next deal? What was like, okay, I want to, I want to keep going with this. What did that look like? The next deal. So it's funny. I wrote this case study and this is kind of what launched my career in the coaching 
because I'm very new to this in the uh, short-term rental space. I've done it in other entrepreneurial spaces and the ground transportation space. So I developed the case study and I, it took me four years to develop the case study on it, right? Well, I built over the last five years, I think the most important thing that I've done is I built this evaluation process, a property evaluation process. And the second one, Michael, I didn't follow that process. I was literally sitting in a hockey game uh, in Dallas, Texas. And in between the second and third period at the Winter Classic, I'm doing this. And I signed a contract to buy a property. Long story short, I lost 100 grand uh, on that property because I didn't follow my evaluation process. So I got a pretty bad taste in my mouth not following my process that I'd used in, in long-term rentals, that I'd used in commercial real estate, uh, that I'd used in the first short-term rental evaluation process. But you know what? My wife and I marked it up as, as a learning curve, really a mistake. It was, you know, me being an idiot, paying attention to the hockey game more than what I was doing. So I bought the house sign unseen, um, literally a FaceTime from a realtor. I didn't go and see it. We started doing a, a, a burr, if you will, and literally we found structural issues. Um, and it just became this money pit nightmare. And I exited and technically lost about $97,000 on that deal. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that that happened to me, to be honest with you. I don't like losing money ever. And that was a huge hit to take. But I think that set me up to learn that lesson early on to really make sure that I stick. You and I talk about this a lot on Clubhouse, right? Process, 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 systems and processes. And there's so many people in our industry that do not have the systems and processes. I can guarantee you, I will not deviate from that evaluation process ever again. Mm -hmm. So what what happened there? Because I mean, like you're you're a seasoned guy, right? And you know what you know. So what was that moment there? Like what if you look back at like your mindset, you were just this is going to work where you're just in those moments of like everything I touched turns into gold kind of moment or or was it just you didn't so there, were two, Emmanuel, there the were two things. One, I wasn't paying attention. Yep. Literally, this deal happened in about three hours from the time it hit the market till the time I put it under contract. Yep. No contingencies, all cash offer, close in six days. Uh, and I'm sitting in a, a fucking hockey game in Dallas, Texas, uh, outdoors, freezing my ass off with a cold beer. Um, and I'm paying, and I'm with my biggest client at the time outside of this industry, and I'm staying with them. And it was the, the morning after New Year's Eve. So it was a Molotov cocktail for bad decision making. Yeah. Um, but then probably my biggest weakness is trying to help people. And I got mm. tied in with a contractor um, that I met through my property management company at my previous house. Cause I started for the first three months with a property management company and he had a bad experience and I wanted to, to help him. Um, and long story short, he ended up screwing me and I was doing a remote burr. Right. And he was sending me pictures and stuff like that. And, but he was glazing over on the work. The real shit wasn't being done. And, you know, I'd invested another 55,000 into what I paid for the property. I flew down 10 weeks, eight, maybe eight, nine weeks later. And we're still at like ground zero. It was just all BS that was happening. So he was scamming me, you know, at that point when I was trying to help him and I'd hired his wife to work for me at my other property and got rid of my management property management company. And that's kind of been my weakness, Emmanuel, to be honest with you. I'd get sucked in just trying to help people that, that are in need um, and I've been burned a few times in my life, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and that keeps repeating. That's like the third or fourth time that it's happened. So I feel good that it's actually happened multiple times because I don't want to lose that feeling to want to help people, to be honest with you. Um, so it was an expensive lesson. And, you know, but if I amortize that over the next 20, 25 years, 
it's not really that bad. Yeah. Mm. No, and I, I love that. And I love how, how honest you are. And, and I tend to be the same way, right? I tend to be on the nicer, kinder side of things. And I keep getting those lessons too. But at the same time, I am on the same boat. I believe that that's, that feeds my, my good karma. Uh, and then the universe just kind of turns to rewards me anyways. And then you can believe in that or not. Um, but when you're honest and you try to help people and then you get fucked over by people, that happens. But it doesn't change who you are as a person. So I love that. Thank you. I, I mean, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, for us is... I don't like the word, but I guess influencers or, you know, people that are on podcasts and clubhouse and social media and have a following. It's very important to share those mistakes that we make. And I see so many people talk about how many properties they have, how much money they're making, all this type of stuff, but they don't share the bad. And that, in my opinion, that's really where, you know, we, we learn the most valuable lessons from. Um, and I know in my golf career growing up that it's very difficult to learn how to win a golf tournament. You have to fail and fail and fail unless you're Tiger Woods, um, you know, to learn from those mistakes mentally to get into a space to be able to break through and, and try to win. I kind of there's a, a gentleman that I know and that I follow uh, named Dean Graziosi, who works with Tony Robbins and Dean chalks these types of things up. He calls them success tax. It's what we do after we pay that tax that becomes valuable or invaluable. That's what makes that lesson, that success task, either worth it or not worth it. For me, you know, I think I've done 17 properties since then. Um, I've never made that mistake again. I think I've got my reward for paying that success tax. Mm-hmm. 100%. Love them. Millionaire success habits is so good. If any, if the listeners haven't read that, you definitely want to pick that up. Millionaire success habits by Dean Graciosi. Make sure we put that in the show notes too, so people can pick that up. Um, so you said that now you've done, since then you've done about 17 deals. What's, what's your focus now just for the listener? So for context, we've had a lot of different folks, a lot of our buddies that we've met through Clubhouse in, you know, a lot of them are focused on big numbers, hundred units, 200 units, 300 units. And you and I have had side conversations around that. And, you know, my target has always been finding the most profitable properties and you've lasered that in even more so than I have on targeting more high-end luxury properties that can do one to multiple six figures. So kind of break down your strategy and kind of what you're focused on now, what markets you're in, things like that. I don't want any more than I can manage by myself with this little thing right here. (laughs) Pretty simple. I've got three monitors here um, that I use for other businesses that are too time consuming, that are too, um, you know, heavy, if you will. And it's one of the reasons, even though I built a really nice $9 million ground transportation company, I exited because it was too time consuming. It was too heavy. Um, so I, I currently am looking to max out in the plan today. Uh, and I do have a business plan and I beg everybody that's in this, this is a business, uh, and it's not hundred percent passive. So you need a business plan, uh, 20 properties. That's it. Uh, four to five of them. I have three of the, the probably five right now are in the middle bucket. I kind of look at three buckets of why people get into this business. And one is, Hey, I bought a property to use for our family, a vacation rental, if you will. Now I want to figure out, maybe I can just pay the mortgage by, you know, starting to to rent it out and do short-term rentals. Bucket number two would be, okay, I want to own this property to use today or for retirement. And that's 50% of my decision or 50% of my why, and then 50% is a financially driven decision. And that's where I fall in those three properties. And the other ones are strictly financial, right? So I've got a mix of bucket number two and bucket number three. And bucket number two is the most important one for me 
because I'm 47. My young, I have two daughters, one's 15, one's 11. Uh, when the youngest daughter goes to college, I plan on selling this monstrosity of a house that I live in today because it's the worst investment I've ever made. Sure, I paid 725 and it's worth 1.3 million today, but it generates zero cash flow. So I want to get rid of that and then I want to live in the other places. So if I have at least four, that's three months, you know, in Montana, at the beach, at my lake house, you know, in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I can play golf and I can snowmobile and I can get a suntan in December and all those different types of things. Uh, so I think the why I do things has really two different pillars to it. Uh, then the next one is going to be strictly from an investment standpoint. So two things that, that I live by. One, I don't want my portfolio to get bigger than I can manage by myself. I self-manage. My wife helps me with design, but I do all of my managing for the 15 properties that I have currently, nine that I own, six that I manage. So I, I just got into property management um, in uh, mid-January because of Clubhouse, to be honest with you. I never, never had, never even thought about getting into management or co-hosting. And it was really kind of listening to TJ, to Johnny, um, Noble Crawford, and then a lot from Julie. Uh, and what Julie George did with, with her Million Dollar Host, I think is the name of her book, and the stuff she did down in Australia, just kind of piqued my interest. And I'm always a guy, you know, I've got OCD, ADD, you know, every acronym you can imagine for an entrepreneur. So I've done 27 startups, really the management company's 28. I just can't sit still. And I don't like big business. So I don't want to be the guild. I don't want to be uh, Sonder. I don't want to be Stay Alfred that's not around anymore. I want to have 20 properties. I'll own 10. I'll manage 10. So like the very first property I took on was doing $140,000 a year. And I've got it on a $200,000 run rate now. And I've had it since mid-January. Um, and then that led into another property, which was a celebrity. And then that led into another property, which is a celebrity. So now I've kind of built this niche of managing vacation, not vacation, because one of them's here in Nashville, but short-term rentals uh, for celebrities in that luxury space. And I've never marketed. I don't go into the co-hosting groups. I'm not actively looking for them. They just come. Right. So, but I won't take anything on that's doing less than a hundred grand that I don't believe I can increase revenue by at least 40 to 50%. I don't feel that it's worth my time if I can't make at least 25 to $30,000 per property. Um, same reason I got into the luxury space. It takes me the same amount of time to manage a guest, a transaction, if you will, a check-in servicing hospitality checkout for $175 a night as it does for $1,500 a night. Um, so I don't see a difference. I don't want that volume. I've had 700 employees in a previous life. I believe that this business, at least for me, is about creating a lifestyle. So if I can build up my assets, and I know I'm the black sheep kind of in the, the clubhouse space, most people are into management and co-hosting, master leasing, um, you know, and most prevalent probably rental arbitrage. Um, and I get that part of it, but I want to own the asset. So that's part of my retirement plan. So I look at when I go into a place like Scottsdale or even my lake property, which, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, even who would have thought that lake properties would be increasing at 20%, 30% a year in appreciation, especially in the middle of nowhere. So I, part of my evaluation process is the last three year run rate of appreciation in these markets before I go in and penetrate a new market. So I look at it as a double whammy. If I can do $200,000 in revenue and I can have EBITDA of you know, 90 to 110 on that, 
and I can gain 3%, 5%, and in some markets right now, 20% annual appreciation, that's a double whammy for me. Yeah. And for some of our newer listeners, you just want to break down what EBITDA is just so they understand what that means. Earnings before interest, taxes, and depreciation. Um, you know, a lot of people we talk in, in numbers, one in revenue in uh, the short-term rental space, people will say they did $100,000 in revenue, but that includes fees, that includes taxes, that includes cleaning fees. Just to clarify, when I give you a, a rental number, it doesn't include any of that stuff. It's literally less fees, less taxes, and less um, cleaning fees, because that's all a pass-through, you know, at that point. So if I'm telling you 100 and you're thinking about that, it's really probably around 135, 140. You can add 30 or 40% on that. Like in Gulf Shores, I'm paying 13% taxes, uh, you know, just local down there. <clears throat> so I think it's really important to understand the lingo and the jargon and the acronyms of ADR, EBITDA, you know, really understanding you have revenues, you have gross profit, and then you have your net income or EBITDA, you know, on the back end. Thank you for breaking that down. Yeah, that is so good. And and you know what's funny? I This is why I, I've been wanting to have you on because it's just, I feel like I'm on podcast, but now I actually get to see you do it. And it's amazing, right? Because you get, you get into flow and you just come out with so much good information. Um, so you keep bringing up and you've done it a couple of times about how you're able to increase and, and really increase right at, at, at a huge level um, what the property makes in the course of a year. Mm -hmm. um, so is that is that a blueprint? Like do you have a blueprint that you put every property through that kind of guarantees you that that's going to happen or, or what does that look like? I wouldn't say that anything is going to be a guarantee by any means, but um, what I will tell you is it starts, there, there's a process, right? And it starts with market analysis. Mm -hmm. So you guys are in all the Facebook groups like I am, I'm sure. And you see, oh my gosh, hey, I'm thinking about going into Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And everybody says, no, no, don't go in there. There's 7,000 SDRs. Why would you want to go there? Why would anybody want to invest into Kissimmee, Florida? Well, uh, Kissimmee's a, a really great example. And I do not own there. Um, but everybody owns what in Kissimmee that's having issues? Two bedroom, one bedroom condos, right? Three bedroom condos. There's a million of those. But you go like 10 minutes away to Davenport and you can buy an eight or a 10 bedroom house for $900,000. It'll generate $200,000, $250,000 a year in revenue. And now most importantly, Emmanuel, you've got a bigger canvas. So what I look at is this is the canvas of a condo. I can't do anything on the outside of my condo. I can change the flooring. I can change the internal paint. I can do all that type of stuff, but I can't do anything outside. And you will never find one guest ever that selects an Airbnb, a BRBO, or any short-term rental that says, wow, I decided to come to Kissimmee because that flooring was amazing in that two-bedroom condo that I found. <laughs> They're coming to Kissimmee because of freaking Disney World. That's the only reason anybody would go for that godforsaken city. I actually, I love it down there. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're not, the reason the why people are coming to the market is what people miss as hosts. That's mm -hmm. your positioning. That's what you're marketing. That's what, how you're designing your properties, right? And then if I can take that and understand that my property is secondary, I'm, I've got my marketing hat on right now because I own a marketing agency, right? My property is secondary. And if I focus on all the stuff 
that my guest is going to do when they come to my property. It could be a traveling nurse that wants to find the best sushi when she gets off her 24-hour shift. Could be the business traveler that's going to downtown Boston that wants to know about Abe and Louis and the best Italian in the North End. And like, I love to go jogging. I just lost Boston Commons. And that's why I would stay at the hotel, Michael, that we talked about on Boylston Street, right? That's why I'm coming and that's why I stay in certain places. It's not about our property. If we get that, then we can create the content, the listing titles, the listing copy, the images, and put them in the proper order and design our property for those ideal buyers. That's number one. Number two is focusing on the amenities and the outside of the house. I don't know very many people that go to short-term rentals that want to stay inside of our properties, right? They don't want to go to, they don't want to go stay in a, in a, a one bedroom flat in Boston and just be cramped in 700 square feet. They want to get out and they want to go explore. Correct. When you go to Teton village and the grand Tetons outside of Jackson hole, what are they going there for? They're going there to fucking ski or look for moose or whatever it is. So that's what I focus on, right? But the, Amanda, the biggest thing is that in the market evaluation, then I take the canvas here and I want bigger canvas. That gives me more opportunity to change things. But there's also an evaluation process of my investment. I've made small investments. The single biggest investment that I've made from a return percentage of return based on increased ADR has been incorporating coffee bars in every one of my properties. I bought my lake property in September. A friend of mine, we were talking about coffee that I go to conferences with and I do speaking or used to speak quite a bit at conferences. And he's like, man, we're just talking about it. He's all, where's the, the best coffee that I said, I don't drink fucking coffee. Have you not noticed? I have a diet Coke. I don't drink coffee. And he's like, dude, you should put a coffee bar uh, into one of your short-term rentals. And I'm like, dude, I don't like coffee. He's all, well, you tell everybody else. It's not about what you like. It's what your guests want. I'm like, you're hundred percent correct. I'm not following my own, my own deal here. So I went out and I spent $812 on a coffee bar, Keurig, full coffee pot, 21 different types of coffee from espresso to hot tea to cocoa, K-cup, ground, beans, frother, French press, all the shit that you can do at Starbucks, $800. And that gave me four months worth of coffee. And that's in my first five images when they log into any of the OTAs. And I'm marketing that on social media. So I don't know what percentage of people drink coffee, but I think I'm in the minority by not being a coffee drinker, right? So when those people see the coffee bar, they're like, what the fuck? I can go to a lake house and get unlimited coffee and he's got all this stuff. And I'm talking like organic Costa Rican beans. I'm not just talking like Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts shit, right? This is great stuff, I, I guess. And that's like the number one thing that I've been reviewed. So on a low one, that's a small investment. But like when I went to Gulf Shores, I put in a golf cart, very prevalent in 30A. You know, Mike, your property probably has one. Nobody had golf carts where I was at. It was actually in Fort Morgan, about 15 minutes outside of Gulf Shores. Nobody had a golf cart. Then I said, you know what? I was able to spend $6,500. I raised my rates by $175 a night. I said, what if we had some stand-up paddle boards? Nobody's got those. What if I get some bikes? What if I do all the all this type of stuff, right? So then when I went to you know, my lake properties, I do the same thing in the mountains, the golf courses, all that type of stuff. It's just a small added values. But at the end of the day, I believe the most important thing is something that I've learned uh, from a hotel manager that's a former client here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's not what's in our listing. It's not the amenities that we're marketing to increase ADR. It's what we're doing to plus one our guests. 
And what I mean by plus oneing our guests, this is from a lady named Dee Patel. She's a general manager of the Hermitage Hotel, which is the only five-star, five-diamond hotel in the, in the state of Tennessee. And she's been at this hotel her entire career, like 22 years now. And she sat at a conference that I hosted, and we were talking about this plus one, and her and I had never talked about it, even though she was a client for four and a half years. And it's really simple. It's the same thing if you have kids. We tell our kids when we drop them off at school every day, make somebody smile today. And that's the same thing as they want every, every single employee from the kitchen staff to the concierge, to the front desk, to D as the general manager, they are required to make their guests feel good at least once a day, every single day with a plus one, something that's unexpected that's gonna change the demeanor of the guest. So I do, I've implemented that into every one of my properties, right? And, and those of you that are out there are thinking, wow, I've got 10 units and I do apartments and rental arbitrage, it doesn't apply to me, the fuck it doesn't. It applies to every single person whether you're charging $100 a night or $1,500. Because if you want to go from $100 to $200, like Jessica Fisher has done in Myrtle Beach with a studio condo, she's gone from $100 to $200. By doing the things that I'm talking about, that changes lives on that lower price point. You don't need to go spend $800 on a coffee bar, but do some plus ones for your guests. And let's really dive into what we're here to do, and that's to provide five-star hospitality. Woo! Sorry, Emmanuel. I want to like drop no, the bro. mic. Fuck. Damn. I we need we need a sound like we need a DJ soundbar so I can do one of those like bow, 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 <laughs> right now. You know what I mean? Like that's why we need it right in that moment. But it, it just oh man, I don't even know what to say on top of that because that it's was, just it's that was so, so good. good. Yeah. One one tactical question. I'll I'll tag on two of them. I'll tag on to that right. Because I get these like technical questions all the time about like random stuff of like oh. Uh, if I, if I have some of these amenities, should I charge extra or should I just bake it into a rate? And I'd love to hear your take on it, Bill, cause you're doing it. But in my head, I'm like, I'd rather charge a little bit higher rate and just make it feel like they're getting way more value than try and nickel and dime them for like a bike rental and a paddleboard rental and all these other things to <coughs> like add on fees. But I'd right. like to hear your take on that. So there's six different types of buyers that are out in our world, right? And there's the two biggest distinctive, there's three, the big, the three biggest distinctive out of the six, price-driven buyers, impulse-driven buyers, and value-driven buyers. And I happen to be a value-based buyer. You know, I want to see the deck and I want to see the view at your new hotel. I don't give a shit what it costs. It doesn't matter if it's 200 or 500, right? If I'm in a resident and that creates value for me, I'm going to buy it right? It's just like, I can buy a cheaper phone than this new iPhone 12. It doesn't work as well as my iPhone 11, but you know what? I just, I, I thought there was going to be value in buying it. So I'm going, my ideal buyer is to go after the value-based buyer. I've made a career out of going out, understanding the buyer that I want, knowing what they need, knowing what their pain points are, knowing exactly how to position my copy, my images, and what I put into houses, and the same thing when, when I work, I mean, I just literally had a conference call, a design call for a gentleman today with my wife this morning, and he's doing five two-bedroom condos. But you have to just define that buyer first. I've never been one to want to compete on price except for in one business. And I invented an, an industry called glow-in-the-dark miniature golf, right? And we were, we were the Yugo, the Hyundai of that industry. We had bigger companies come in behind us. Well, they could never grow past like 10 stores, we had 178 at one time, but we were the low cost provider, the Walmart, right? So you eat the, the number one thing that I'm going to tell you guys about pricing, you've either got to be the low cost Walmart and you need to be at hundred percent occupancy, 
or you need to be at the high end and you need to probably shoot for around 50 to 60% occupancy. The problem in our industry is everybody ends up in the middle. Everybody ends up in, and that is no man's land. You're not churning enough profit. So you're, you're, when your refrigerator goes out and you got to go plunk down 2,200 bucks, it's going to be a tough purchase. But yet you're putting in all the time and effort in managing your OTA listings and your marketing. And you're just not maximizing your profit. So you either need to be on one end of the spectrum or the other. If you jump into air DNA, you just need to eliminate 40% to 70%. You need to be in the bottom 20 or you need to be in the top 20. That's the only place that you should ever live in any business. There's a reason that Macy's are gone. There's a reason that Sears are gone. There's a reason that Ruby Tuesdays and Applebee's and these middle ends of everything is, is going out of business or has gone out of business in the last 10 years. And it was accentuated with COVID. Gap stores are gone. You look at Nordstrom's are still here and the lower end products are still here, whatever they are, you know, as well. So I really try to maximize my profit through that value add, but, but Michael, it's very strategic. In that same property, that lake house that I put in the, the coffee bar, um, you know, we, I, I give away a $62 welcome gift with sunglasses, hats, um, I, so the reason they're sunglasses and also the sunglass straps is the first weekend when we bought the house and we moved in and we started doing furnishings and design, but we also enjoyed the lake. I lost a pair of Maui gems that were 300 bucks into the lake, right? And then I lost my backup pair, which are like, you know, the $15 pair off Amazon, but I had no sunglasses. So now most importantly, I can tell a story tied into my welcome gift, which is a plus one. We don't tell them what they're getting but that's going to resonate with every single person. And the best thing that could happen to me is that the dad's an idiot like I was and he wears his Maui gems as he loses them in the lake. Then he's going to really see value and say, man, I should have worn those ugly sunglasses that Bill gave me. So if you can tell a story and you provide them something that's a value to them, that's a double whammy. So that's a plus one. The other thing that we do, I made an $18,000 investment. Um, and this will sound crazy to some people, but stick with me for two minutes. I built an outdoor fireplace. I already had the fire pit, right? But everybody on the lake, everybody in Gatlinburg, everybody in the mountains has fire pits. I poured a slab 15 by 15. Uh, I built a 12 foot tall. I didn't do it, but I paid somebody to do it to come in and build a 12 foot tall rock, um, stone and rock uh, fireplace. I put LED lighting on it. Then we built a pergola. Then we put the lighting. And the cool thing was, it wasn't cool two weeks ago, but we built it in the floodplain right on the edge of the lake. And it became a statement piece for our house. Well, when I did my air DNA research, when I bought this place, we were looking about 51, 52% occupancy. Average ADR was $385 a night. I wasn't shooting for that. I was looking at the thousand dollar a night properties on this lake that had more bedrooms, that had more baths, right? But I had a distinct advantage. I had a flat lot. I didn't have to walk down a hundred steps and, and come down. So I had the ability to put this out there and nobody else on this lake had it. So that $18,000 investment, I just bought the, just closed the end of September. I've already got my return on investment on this. My average ADR right now is $762 a night. Just by adding that, adding some two kayaks, two stand-up paddle boards, a swim mat, and my coffee bar. They don't know, uh, and that's in the marketing, they don't know about the s'mores kits that my wife packages and brands and the welcome gifts and all that type of stuff that comes, comes in with it. We market that we don't have internet. We do have internet. We tell them we don't have cable. We got direct TV. 
So those are four things that we have as plus ones when they walk, walk in and say, oh, shit, we didn't know that we had this. To where then they, what do they do? They have a better experience. They may not come back because not everybody goes to a lake every three months or every year. But I promise you, they're going to tell their friends about how we host. That's why I don't even have a 4.9 review. Everything's 500% five-star reviews there. And I think a lot of it has to do with those plus ones and that value add that they get when they go there that nobody else on that lake provides. What I will tell you is in Gulf Shore or Fort Morgan where I live, I was in a subdivision with probably 150 homes. When I left that, I sold that property in December. There was probably about 10 or 15 golf carts there. And I know that people will catch on and do the same stuff and they will eventually will catch up with you. There's no question. So just take your profits and move to another market or just stay there and keep doing what you're doing. I love that. I love that. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. There were so many. I only have two hours more to be able to do this. So <laughs> we could go all day. We'll definitely do an encore though. Another. We could do a 24 hour into your Facebook group and YouTube channel like we do on Clubhouse, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously. Well, before we get into the last question first, Bill, I want to acknowledge you and all of your success, but more so just your authenticity and your willingness to share. And, you know, you've donated hundreds of hours on Clubhouse alone, you know, with E and I and all of our Clubhouse buddies now just sharing all this information for free. And you're, you just have a good, like genuine, authentic heart that you just like to help people, even when it burned you. Right. And that's very rare to find these days. So I want to acknowledge you for that and all your success. Well, I, so, I really appreciate that. And that's something that I think for, for us fellow hosts too, if there's a gentleman here in Nashville that taught me how to sell uh, at a really important time in my life. And it, he has one premise and it's give to get. And he said, if you can give more than you expect to receive and you just continue to give, it, it's going to come back in spades. And, you know, our parents told us that growing up and all that type of stuff. I really believe that is prevalent uh, for us as hosts. And the more that we can give, and it doesn't have to be expensive stuff. It can just be through better communication. It can be through personalization. Um, and, and I'll share with you before you get to the last question, if it's okay with you, I'll get off topic a little bit. The number one thing that I do that I think really separates me from everybody else. And if you're on my email list, it's not the Facebook ads that I sent out this morning. That's a huge advantage that I have, but it's this. Hey, Michael, this is Bill. I'm the owner of Paradise Point. I just wanted to thank you for booking with us. I look forward to hosting with you. If you have any special requests, you can just reply to this text message or just message me in the, in the platform. And I mean it seriously. We look forward to hosting you at our family home. That's it. 10 seconds. Text it to them if you have the number via VRBO. You know, send them in an email if you can capture their, their email or the ghosted email through Airbnb Pro or if it's a direct booking through Owner Res or Smart BNB, whatever you're using. That personal touch will change everything. Because the number one thing I want you to understand is all of us at least have 48 hours to where when that booking happens, they're not a customer yet. They're a very highly qualified lead. And they typically, even on the strict policies, have 48 hours to cancel without any penalty. So we still need to nurture and we need to start building that rapport and relationship right off the bat. I love that. I love that. And um, where can folks learn more about you? You know, find all your good stuff, your coaching, all that stuff. Where can people get in touch with you? Uh, build shorttermrentalwealth.com. Uh, Private Facebook group, uh, 4,000 people, build short-term rental wealth, build short-term rental wealth on YouTube. Um, build STR wealth is my website, billfaith.com. 
if you're in all the other free uh, Airbnb groups and STR groups and the discussion and the ranting groups, I'm in there every morning. I'm in Nashville Central Time from about 4.30 in the morning till 7.30 just answering questions. Not in my own group, but in all the other groups. I spend about three hours a day. And that's part of my giving that I, that I believe. I, I don't want to sell anything to anybody and I'll give everything for free. And hopefully that if I do a good enough job, you might end up buying something from me. Um, and I th- believe that's the same mantra that we should have as, as hosts as well. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Well, the, the question we ask all of our guests and you may have already <clears throat> addressed this, but the question I we just all now of our he guests, was saying, he was saying his best kept secret. That's what yeah, I thought. Okay. You know, that's, what, that's what I thought was happening already. And we haven't even asked the question. So I'm like, wow. are you going to ask me my best kept secret? Well, yeah. what's the number one secret to success <laughs> with short term rentals? Um, so I think the best kept secret is, is the selfie video right upon booking. Uh, but there's no question. So I do between 40 to 50% direct bookings uh, through all of my portfolio wide, which is a pretty significant number for as new as most of my uh, properties are. Um, and it's through Facebook ads. Uh, Facebook ads is probably the, the biggest misnomer because people think you got to be a marketing ninja or, you know, be the like the old SEO adage of, you know, the guy sitting in his underwear, just battling on a computer and an internet guru. You don't, they're actually pretty easy. So that's the number one thing that I have as a competitive advantage that I believe has separated me from everybody else. Um, and if I can give a shout out or a pitch, if that's okay, we're actually doing a free training, live training three days, May uh, 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Um, so if you, if you guys are interested, just go to the build strwealth.com and you can check that out. Uh, it's recorded and it's the, the number one deal for me. I've been doing Facebook ads since 2013. I've spent about a, just over a million dollars on Facebook ads. Uh, and it takes a lot of trial and error. And the cool thing is, is in the last five years, I probably spent maybe 50, 60,000 over that time. I believe that every single person should have $3 a day running on Facebook ads, $3 a day. That's three ads, $1 a day per ad. And here's the cool thing that if you've been doing this for a while and you've collected emails, whether it's from VRBO or, hey, do we have a special guest there? Yeah, a little man came over here. You want to say hi to everybody real quick? Hi. Hi, I'm Bill. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Hayden. Hayden? Caden. Caden. Hi, Caden. Caden, your hair looks great, man. You have long hair like me. Yeah, we're going to finish up, okay? And then I'll be up in a minute. Okay. Nice meeting you, Caden. Say nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Love it. Peace out. So cute. <laughs> so one dollar a day, three ads. Oh, what is he? Is he podcasting too? He, he's he's making his own video game on my iPad that he stole before this interview. So. I love it. Oh, we have a little developer in the house. Watch out. SDR secret game for kids. That would be get him started early. <laughs> That's awesome. Sorry, so Bill, Bill go saying, for it, buddy. A <laughs> dollar a day, three ads. Yeah, so run three ads. It's ninety dollars a month. You run primary ad number one, primary ad number two, and then the third ad is retargeting. So a lot of people, if you've ever been to like Amazon and you click on those shoes or the hat or the phone case and you don't buy it, what happens? follows you all the way around the internet. Well, you can do that too. And literally for a dollar a day for that retargeting ad. So I, every one of my properties, I run three ads 
every day, two primary ads, one's typically a, a video and the other one's an image. And then I do a selfie video just like this that I'm running as my retargeting ad, introducing myself as the owner and talking about the value propositions that I'm gonna do. Just like you would see with Amazon, Under Armour, any of the major companies. It's not that difficult. You just need to know how to execute it. And I'm gonna be giving away all those secrets in May. Well, I'm going to be tuning in for sure. Yeah. I want to absolutely. learn all those gems too. So. Buildstrwealth.com. Love it. I love it. Well, thank you again for being here, Bill. Truly appreciate you, all your knowledge, and just being an awesome human being that I love hanging out with. So again, thank you for everything. And uh, we'll, have, we'll definitely have to do an encore. And you want to just plug the, uh, the event? I know it's a little early, but do you have all the details for that for the summer? Yeah, so I'm actually hosting a boot camp on June 7th and 8th here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, you can actually, you probably need to join. Uh, you can get that at buildstrwealth.com as well, or you can just DM me on Instagram, be faith, whatever. Um, but it's a two day intensive boot camp. It's going to be 17 hours of training. We're going to have some special guests and friends that are going to be attending. Uh, this will be the 23rd boot camp that I've ran. We have super early bird pricing right now. I think we'll have about three or four seats left on that. Then the pricing is going to increase uh, by $200. But I'll just get, actually, I've got my flip chart over here. The whole pre-purchase evaluation process we talked about, we're going to be teaching that. Um, how to become bankable financing options and what you need to do to prepare, whether you're looking at hard money, traditional loans, uh, or going to commercials. There's a whole process you should do in a portfolio to become bankable. Um, guest speakers coming in. Uh, we're going to do basically my, my revenue management uh, power strategies that I call them of how I increase the ADR. And I do a lot more than just use price labs or, or beyond pricing. There's upselling, downselling strategies that we're going to teach. Um, Superhost success. I've got four powerhouse superhosts. They're going to be up there to do Q&A. Um, and then just a, a lot more stuff. We're going to actually, there's a whole nother secret too. I guess secret number two uh, is my buy, sell, trade marketplace strategy on Facebook. Literally, if you can learn how to do leverage buy, sell trade groups on Facebook and do Facebook ads, you can probably get away from 30 to 40% of the OTAs and all the commissions. So we're gonna, we're actually gonna build ads here. You're gonna walk away with an ad campaign running. My team's gonna help you. We're gonna give you a copy, swipe file, all that type of stuff. Boom, Soup awesome. to nuts. Adding value to the end, I love it. Love your style. Well, thanks again for being here, brother. Again, truly appreciate you. Guys, definitely make sure you check out all those links. We'll have them down in the show notes and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you guys. Hey, STR Nation. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.